Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me. Well, you did because you just said good morning back. So that's great news for me. <sighs> I'm excited to, to be up here today. I always love having the chance to have the mic and do a little teaching. I'm going to move that, my Brittany mic. Sounds great. So I want to start off. Oh, yes, I do. I want to start off by calling out uh, Justin and Joel and Elena, who have done such an awesome job leading us through the book of Isaiah. Um, I feel like they have covered some of the more difficult sections, and so I'm excited for the one that I have today. <laughs> that is some, some Holy Spirit feedback, so I, I guess I'm on the right track. I guess I'm on the right track. Uh, I, I love about Love Chapel Hill that every fall semester we spend time in the Old Testament. I love this because for me the Old Testament can sometimes feel confusing or boring or I don't get it or it's violent or who knows. Um, but this chance that we have to really get to know it and look at it in, in an intentional way is really refreshing for me now. And so I am excited to have been a part of it this fall. So today we have, we're ending our series on Isaiah and we're going to be learning about Isaiah chapter 61, and a, a tiny bit of heads up from the past weeks of learning about Isaiah. We know that God's people have been through it. They've been going back and forth between trying their best to live their best life, to live how God intended, and then going back to living, as you say, the ways of the world, um, this cycle of, of that. And by the time we get to Isaiah 61, we know that the people of Israel have been exiled in the wilderness, not living their best life. They've been in a place of devastation, of disappointment, and they're looking for hope. Enter Isaiah 61, where the people are given a promise of hope. So this morning, what better picture of hope than to have a young friend read the scripture to us? My friend and yours, Avery Simmons, is going to read through. Oh, yeah, let's hear it for her. I love that. Even before, even before she's done it, she's getting the applause. I love it. Um, so she's going to read through Isaiah 61. If you want to read along, go for it. If you don't want to read along, then just let it rock, and, and, and we'll see how it goes. Over to you, Avery. Get a little closer. Oh yeah, there we go. Um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow them on the crown of beauty. Instead of ashes, the oil of joy. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for display of his splendor. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your, fi your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and riches and in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoin in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice, hate robbery, and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among peoples. All who seek them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and the bride adorns herself with jewels, for the soil makes the sprout come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow. The sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring before all nations. Yeah, girl, let's hear it. Wow. Thank you, Avery. I'll see you soon. Yes, I got to say, that was 11 verses, but that was a lot, and she just crushed that. So hopefully, if you heard anything today... Hopefully you heard Avery share whatever it was that you needed to hear from her today. So Isaiah 61, sorry, I keep messing with this, but I'll stop now. Isaiah 61, lots of good stuff in there. I think when we look at this scripture, there are two steps to reading it. And the first one is to understand it in its historical context. And, and to understand the historical significance of it. After we do that, then we can understand it for us here now. So let's start with step one. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves. And see what the scripture is saying for the people of its time. We can see that the chapter starts off by introducing us to an anointed one who has come to share some promising news to the people. Verse 2, we see that there is good to come. The news is the year of the Lord's favor is upon us, which is a phrase that is not unfamiliar to the Israelites, those, those hearing this and reading this. So year of the Lord's favor. So based on the seventh day Sabbath, they're taught that every seven years is a year of rest. So every person, every animal, every field rests. Not worked, not tended, not grown on. And so this year of the Lord's favor that we hear about in verse 2 is supposed to come after seven of these seven-year cycles. So seven times seven, that's 49 years. So in the 50th year, is supposed to be the year of the Lord's favor, which is also called the year of Jubilee. 
This year of Jubilee is an ideal example of restoration and renewal for the people. Beyond just the rest that they experience every seven years, the people are looking forward to true freedom. Debts are forgiven, captives are set free. When we look in the verses that follow, we can see beyond what restoration, renewal, and freedom look like. We can see that mourning is replaced with joy. Despair is replaced with praise. Ashes are replaced with the crown of beauty. Disgrace is replaced with rejoicing. Ancient ruins are restored. Someone else comes to tend the land. Shame is erased. When you read these verses, you can see that there is so much promise for restoration in this year of Jubilee. I can imagine God's people being exiled, feeling devastated, trying their best, looking for ways to move forward, losing their homes, being in the wilderness, and then hearing this promise, this ideal, and looking forward to the goodness that's to come. So in the final verse of this chapter, we see mention of a garden. And I'm not going to talk about what I think about it yet because I love a good garden. But we read about a garden where sprouts come up and are able to grow. And like a garden, God will grow righteousness and praise everywhere, it says before all nations. So in this historical context, garden imagery could remind some people who are reading this or hearing this about the first garden, the Garden of Eden where everything was right and how God intended. And I love thinking of that recollection as we think of the historical perspective. The Israelites are looking forward to this year of Jubilee where all is restored. They experience freedom. They're also being reminded of the way that God created things to be. And these two connections seem like guardrails almost for life <laughs> and remembering how we were created and looking forward to the restoration to come as these two guidelines for these people. So reading Isaiah 61 in this historical context really makes me think about who was reading or hearing the scripture and what it meant for them. And I think it's important to take the time to acknowledge who was reading and, and what it meant for them. So we know that these people, Israelites, have been living in the exact devastation that Isaiah 61 promises will be restored. And unfortunately, there's no historical record of this year of Jubilee ever actually happening in the Old Testament. I think it's something that the people hoped for and they waited for and they longed for, but ultimately life goes on and people keep living as they did and trying and failing and they never got to experience the full freedom and, and rejuvenation and restoration that they were looking forward to. And that's tough, that's tough. Um, to, to think of the hope that's to come and then to know that, that it didn't quite look like that. So step one, 
historical context. I know we could probably spend the whole morning here talking about historical context, and there are a lot of really smart people who would love to share more. Probably a lot of smart people would love to learn more, too. But we'll, we'll leave that at step one. We'll go to step two, which is bringing the, what we know about the historical context and the historical significance, bringing it with us into the here and now. We've got on our shirts right here, right now. We're doing it. When we look at this scripture on a personal level, we can relate to a degree with, with God's people because we've experienced heartache, disappointment, devastation, loss, frustration in our own lives. We've needed the story of freedom and hope and restoration too. So let's do just a quick audience participation. Just do a hand raise. You don't have to say anything. I'm going to I'm going to read a list of things and just raise your hand if you or or someone you know has experienced any of these things in life or lately, whatever. Um experienced losing a job or saying goodbye to close family or friend. You can start raising your hands if you're feeling that. Um, needing to find new housing, receiving a difficult diagnosis. You can keep your hands up if, if any of these have applied. Um, someone who's, who's struggling, who doesn't know which way is up. So if you, if you take a look around or if you're from up here, you can see everybody. Lots of hands are up. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Give yourself a high five. Oh, yeah, give a wave. Thanks, Darren. Um, there are people in our midst right now that we interact with who have experienced some tough, tough stuff and people who have walked alongside their friends and neighbors who are hurting. We can connect with this story of devastation right here, right now. Even in my own life, for myself, I have certainly not been feeling refreshed or restored often. Just in the past year, I've experienced a lot of loss of all different kinds. I, I didn't even, had, had never even thought about all these different kinds. My sweet grandfather passed away in May. If you knew him, lucky you. If you didn't, talk to me. Um, I had coworkers who I worked with closely who were laid off earlier this year. Not my dad. For those of you who know that, he is also my colleague. <laughs> he did not get laid off. I had some of my closest friends and, and family members move away. That's tough. And most recently, I had a miscarriage. And, oh, thanks for the collective. Ooh, we feel that loss. And that is tough. <laughs> we all experience the tough. Life gives us a lot of things that are heavy and hard. We feel discouraged. We do not feel refreshed or restored. <laughs> and many of us, like the Israelites who have been reading and hearing Isaiah 61, have needed a reminder that life doesn't end in devastation. And we now need to know that there is restoration to come. So what great timing for us to be reading Isaiah 61 
Because in the very first verses, we are introduced to the anointed one. Any guesses who that is? Sunday school answer? Jesus. Come on, Beth, in the front row. She knows. So Jesus is the one who came to fulfill this prophecy in Isaiah 61. We know that this is true when we flip to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. Verses 16 through 21 tell us something very interesting. We'll take a look at it here. It says, He went to Nazareth, this is Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Whoa, heard that. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I could not believe. Reading Luke 4, I'm like, I know those words. We just read those words. Avery Simmons just read those words. Jesus himself says that he is fulfilling this prophecy. We see it by the life that he lived. That he came to proclaim good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted to comfort those who mourn, to rebuild ancient ruins, to give sight to the blind. The list goes on. Jesus came to deliver to us this message of restoration that comes in life with God. Jesus preached about restoration. He promises restoration. And then he provided a path to restoration by his death and resurrection. Because Jesus is alive now, we are able to meet with him right here, right now. We don't have to wait 50 years to experience it. We don't have to wait for a cycle to repeat. We can find hope in restoration now. So, let's keep reading. Let's keep looking at Isaiah 61 with this fresh lens, the step two lens of life with Jesus. When you read these verses or glance at them or, or hear them, there may be certain sections that stand out to you, ways that, that God is speaking to you through these verses. Maybe for whatever you've been experiencing or who you've been walking through life with, you need to hear about a crown of beauty replacing ashes. Maybe you need to hear about a garment of praise replacing a spirit of despair. Maybe some of the other language in the chapter is standing out to you. Words like rebuild, renew, restore. When I was reading these verses, this chapter, I felt like some of them were yelling at me. I was meeting with Justin to prepare for today and I we were looking at it and I said, this is just yelling at me. 
Um, one of these sections that, that I felt like was, woo, for me, is at the end of verse 3 in, in Isaiah 61. It mentions, they will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love nature imagery on any, any given day, any day that ends in Y. It, it talks to me. And this section in particular was, I think, one that I really needed. Thinking about an oak tree being strong and rooted and maybe a symbol for some of us. On a day recently where I was feeling particularly down and I read Isaiah 61, I had a, a picture of oaks of righteousness in my own life. Two people came to mind who represent this strength and rootedness. And one is my cool husband, Eddie, who if you haven't met him, why not? <laughs> and the second is the second person who came to mind for me is, is my longtime friend and mentor. Her name is Hannah. These two people are, are people who, to me, really embody the Lord's splendor on display in the way that they love me and in the wisdom that they share with me and in the ways that they encourage me. Maybe people come to mind for you who are oaks of righteousness in your own life. I know our leadership here, well, they come to mind. If people do come to mind for you, you should let them know because it's kind of a fun little text to get. Hey, ever heard of an oak of righteousness? That's you. <laughs> can start a fun, can start a fun catch-up conversation if, if needed, if, if that's what, what it leads to. So I love that, oaks of righteousness. I love that, that nature imagery. And so the, the other piece that really I felt like was yelling at me is at the end of the chapter, verse 11, we're going to the garden. In a time of devastation and loss and disappointment, soil creating new life and a garden emerging, seeds growing, that is good stuff. And I got to just say, that makes me feel restored even just thinking about it right now. So we've got these kind of bookends for me of what has stood out in, in these verses. And so I encourage you all in the next few days to maybe read Isaiah 61 by yourself and, and see what kind of things jump out at you. Maybe they won't be yelling. Um, or maybe they are, and you should listen. There are, are so many ways that we can experience death and, and destruction in our lives. We can look at any news headline at a global or national or local level and find pictures of devastation around us. We can look at our own church family. We all had our hands up. We've seen it. We can look in our own lives. The beauty of what we've learned today is that we don't have to wait 49 years for the destruction to be reset. 
because Jesus brings it to us here and now. I can't say it enough, right here, right now. We got it. In life with Jesus, we experience glimpses of heaven and earth overlapping when we have moments of restoration. When Justin and I were talking about this and I was trying to figure out the words to say, that I kept doing this, the heaven and earth meeting. If you've been at the story, we talk about this. If you haven't been to the story, you should come. We talk about this. Um, and, and I think that in order to understand what this means, it's, it's helpful to have concrete examples of what restoration looks like. It's one thing to say, we're restored in, in life with Jesus. But I think taking it to another level of understanding to share what it means for us is really helpful. Coming from up here, this theoretical level to, to down here, the practical, tangible level. So this experience of restoration can look different for each of us depending on what we're experiencing or who we're walking through life with. So I'll share some examples from my own life and, and some from, from people I've collected some, some stories from. Um, and, and maybe there are, there are some that you feel like you connect with or you have a, your own examples coming to mind. One restorative experience I had recently was last weekend we had a discipleship overnight retreat and it was so awesome. Pastor Allison led us through some really special time of stillness and prayer and just different ways to experience God and reflect and pray and listen to the Spirit. If we do one of those again, I hope you're all there because it was very helpful to feel restored by having this fresh experience with my brothers and sisters in my church family, but also with just me and God. I think sometimes we feel restoration when we're able to reconcile our past mistakes and release the shame and guilt that we've associated with things that we've been holding on to. We can feel restoration within ourselves when we look in the mirror and see someone that's made in God's image, who God loves. If we're needing restoration in a more physical way, we can say no to extra activities so we can create space to slow down and be still and listen to God. We can experience restoration in our relationships when we ask Jesus to help us reconnect and forgive and reconcile with those who have hurt us in the past. Restoration can look like feeling a wave of peace after feeling stress in the situation. It can look like going on a walk outside with a friend and pointing out the oak trees. It can look a lot of different ways, and these are just a few examples. And I hope that these examples and some that maybe you're thinking of yourself can help bring this stuff down to earth for us. I hope that you can go into this week and experience restoration in whatever way you need it, in whatever way God has for you. And if you aren't sure what it is you need or what needs to be restored, I hope you'll sit down by yourself and read Isaiah 61 
and see what stands out, see what the Spirit is highlighting for you, um, maybe see what's yelling at you, and see what Jesus has. Ask Jesus to help you when you're looking at it. So as we kind of land the plane, as we kind of wrap up Isaiah and Isaiah 61, um, Justin's going to head up and start walking us through our, our time of communion. And as he's making his way up, Avery is going to come back up and read our scripture again. And as she's reading, maybe follow along in your Bible or on your phone. And if there are words that sound different or hear, that you hear a little differently, notice those. You can also just maybe close your eyes while she's reading and just let the words wash over you. You can write something down if you've got a pen or text yourself a word that stands out or something that comes to mind as she's reading this. Um, and so we'll let this be our first practice as, as receiving this restoration together. I'll pray and then Avery's going to read it. We're going to listen and, and see what comes from that. Jesus, thank you for coming to be with us. Thank you for restoring us here and now. Thank you for your word and the ways that it speaks to us. And I pray as we hear it again that your spirit would lead us and guide us and, and open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our hands, or whatever needs to be opened. Jesus, that your spirit would open it and that we would hear what you have. Over to you, Avery, whenever you're ready. The spirit of the sovereign Lord become, is on me. Become the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim the freedom for captives and release the darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve on Zion, to bestow them a crown of beauty. Instead of ashes, the oil of joy, instead of mourning, a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, and planting the Lord for display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the, re the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and their riches will boast you. Instead of shame, you will receive double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice, hate robbery, and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among people all who see them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God. 
He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Yeah, Val, thank you so much. Y'all, let's give it up for Val leading us in the word today. Y'all, as we turn our hearts to communion, to celebrate this as we do week in and week out, to receive this blessing of God's grace as we taste and see the goodness of God, we're going to step into a liturgy a little bit different today. One a little bit different from what we, we normally practice in this, and it's for two reasons. One, we're stepping into this liturgy that dates back at least as early as the third century, is kind of where we first find it written down, that the early church in the third century practicing, reciting these words, stepping into it, but not just reciting words, but letting it form and shape how we step into God's presence. The second is because one of the common names of this practice in this liturgy is the great thanksgiving. Maybe some connection to that this week. So I'm going to invite you, if you are able, to just stand where you are. The words are going to be on the screen. There will be some that are bold, and that's where we will read together. And some of it will, will not be bold, and I'm going to just speak it over you. And so I just invite you to receive that today. So join with me in this. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Friends, it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image. You breathed into us the breath of life. We, when we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, spoke to us through your prophets who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream, when nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name, joining with them in their unending hymn and all of us together. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, 
to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, and he ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit and reign with you at the right hand. Friends, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples at the table, reclined with them in the very common setting of sharing a table. But something was a little different that night when he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat of it, all of you. And in the same way that night, he took the cup. He shared it with them, saying, this, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you take and you eat of this and you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts, in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise in thanksgiving, as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. And together we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, on these gifts of bread and the cup, Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Let us pray together. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. We feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. So friends, as we come to the table today, I want to invite you to take a posture, a posture of open hands, We're going to come down the side aisle and I'm going to invite Pixie and Beth to actually tear off the bread and place it in your hand to receive it. In that posture of open-handedness, we both release what we are carrying with us. 
and we receive the grace, the mercy, and the unfailing love of God. So we're exchanging ashes for crowns of beauty. We're exchanging pain and suffering for the glory of God. And so as we come with that open posture, we exchange it. So friends, I invite you to come to the table today to let go and to receive.